All right. We're in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we are going to be picking up in verse 22. Deuteronomy 5, 22. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for delivering it down to us, Father, over the ages, Lord, for keeping it. Uh, it's a supernatural occurrence, Father, just that we have this book in front of us. Uh, Lord, and we're so grateful and we're so thankful for the men and women that gave their lives because they wouldn't compromise the testimony of this book. Uh, and that they were willing to, at the peril of their own lives, Father, and at the cost of their own lives, uh, copy it and print it, Father, so that it could be given to us today, Lord. We're so grateful uh, for that, Father. And we ask, Lord God, that as we study it now, that we would have a, a deep reverence of heart, Father, and a, a soberness of mind, Lord, understanding that it's, this is your word. And that you seek, Father, not to just tell us a story uh, or to give us some instructions, Lord, that we could follow, but that you want to write your truths on our hearts, Father, that you want to instill in us, Father, the Spirit, uh, your very Spirit, Lord, uh, that you want us to be like Jesus Christ as much as we can in the flesh, Lord, to be given to obedience, to be given to serve you, Father, uh, and to serve our fellow man. We confess to you, Lord, that everything that we have in our own flesh, Lord, in our own desires takes us in the opposite direction uh, so often, Father, of, of where you want us to be, Lord. We confess that to you this morning. We ask that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would cleanse us and purify us of all of our unrighteousness, Lord, uh, and that right now, this very second, we would have a brand new fresh start, Lord, as we open up the word and seek to hear from you, Father. Instruct us, teach us, train us, exhort us. Rebuke us if we need it, Father, but we pray that it would come from your hands so that it would, in all things, would be a blessing, Lord. And we pray that you would use us as light in the world that we live in, Father, the world that so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting with verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly. This is Moses again talking to the children of Israel. Remember, Deuteronomy literally means second law, and this is Moses now talking to that next generation uh, of Israelites who have now come to the very precipice, to the border of entering into the promised land. Uh, and so Moses is reiterating to them what God had spoken to their fathers, what God had done with them. And this literally is the contract that God made with the children of Israel, with the nation of Israel, with the people of Israel. This is the contract that God made with them, and Moses is going over that contract. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire. Remember, on Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke. Remember, the mountain shook, uh, and God spoke from that. The cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. So it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more than we shall die. For who is there of all flesh 
who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived. You go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear it and do it. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, and that, you, that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So this is the retelling of a contract that was made between two parties, God and the people of Israel, with Moses as the witness, or as the arbitrator, or as the mediator between the covenant, between God and man. There's five elements of a legally binding contract. There's five elements that a binding contract, a legally binding contract are made up of. There's an offer, there's an acceptance, there's consideration, in other words, what you have to do to keep the contract, mutuality of obligation. In other words, I'm obligated to do my part of the contract. You're obligated to do your part of the con part of the contract. And also competency and capacity, the ability to understand the words of the contract and the competency to do what the contract says, okay? These are the elements of a legally binding contract. And this is exactly what is happening here between God or what happened between God and the children of Israel, he may, and, and talk about legally binding. It don't get more legally binding, right? Than a contract between God and men. And all of these elements are there with Moses as the witness. Now, I love this part where in verse uh, 20, 23, when they begin to speak, when Moses begins to recount what they said verse, uh, through verse 20, uh, 27, the words that these people said in these verses that are being quoted here by Moses are worthy of special consideration, and here's why. Because of what God says in verse 28. God says they are right in all they have spoken. Okay? So that's for us to stop and take special notice. Now, now the children of Israel said a lot of stuff, right? And they grumbled a lot, and they complained a lot, and they said a lot of stuff. But this, these verses here from verses 23 to 27, the things that they say are, are worthy of special consideration based on the fact that in verse 28, God says everything that they just said is right on. That's God's amen. You remember what the word amen means? It means I agree, right? We agree. That's God's amen. And here's what I was thinking when I was reading this. I want my life to be filled with words and I want my life to be filled with actions. And I want my life to be filled with a testimony that would cause God to say amen. To God would say amen. That he would see the work of my hands. That he would see my dealings with my family. That he would see my dealings with my friends. That he would see my dealings at work and everywhere that I go and in everything that I do. And God would be able to look down and say amen. Amen. Now, 
as long as we're in these, we I jokingly call these bags of skin, right? As long as we're in the old bags of skin, these biomechanical suits that carry around who we really are, we are extremely limited, aren't we, by our own flesh? Again, the reiteration, the reiteration, the reiteration, the going over again and again and again and again, walk in the light as he is in the light. Do the commandments that God has given us to do. Listen to what the word of God says, as he said to the children of Israel, that it may be well with you, that it may be well with you. Now, we understand we're not under the law. We don't have to worry about the earth opening up and swallowing us uh, or, or God's judgment falling upon us because in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, and we are sealed, the Bible says, for the day of redemption. That grace and mercy that God has given us that no one can take away from you. Do you understand? You have a binding contract with Jesus as witness between you and God. You have a binding contract. And because of your faith, putting your faith in Jesus Christ and accepting him as your Lord and Savior, nobody can take that eternal life away from you. But make no mistake about it, Christians, that call from God still goes out today. Do all that I have commanded you that it might be well with you. We can't, as Christians, think or believe that we can go out, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that I'm going to heaven because of that. I believe that the Bible is God's word and then go out and live our lives any way we see fit, any way that we choose, going against the commandments of God and expect that everything is going to be well with us. There is still a cause and effect There is still walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. And the New Testament is no different in that. It tells us walk in the light and walk according to the spirit so that you will not fulfill the lusts of your flesh. Because whatever a man reaps, what? Sows, rather, that will he reap. That's, that doesn't, we don't escape that because we're Christians. We talk about the favor of God. And there's an assumption, I think, that is, that is out there amongst Christians that just because I call in the name of Jesus or claim the name of Jesus, that I can kind of live my life any way that I see fit and still have the blessing of God in my life and still hear his voice in my life and still have victory in my life. That's not the way it works. We always, as human beings, want our cake and eat it too, don't we? Now listen, again, I'm not, I'm not getting after you here. Let's be honest, human nature. Our human nature, as the Bible says, I know that in my flesh dwells no good thing. There's no good thing. Don't make agreements with your flesh. Don't make agreements with any aspect of, this, of the kingdom of this world. Don't make any agreements with them whatsoever. One of the brothers used to come to church and he had a shirt that said, I am a herald, not a negotiator right? And we are called, we are called to be witnesses. You know how the Bible says we are his witnesses, right? And we say, oh yeah, I'm going out witnessing. Oh Lord, give me an opportunity to witness to people. And we think that means telling people about Jesus, telling people about Jesus. But you have to think of it from a deeper aspect, from God's point of view and what we see in scripture, that God is literally calling you to be a witness of a contract between God and men, just as Moses was. And ultimately, just as Jesus Christ was and is, we are his witnesses of who he is, of what he said, and that he is reaching out his hand to all mankind today to make a contract with them, a contract of love and a contract of grace, a contract of salvation and eternal life based solely on our belief and our faith in Jesus Christ. 
But then in the walk, in the life of a Christian, the obedience, the surrendering to God's will, it's as important today as it was in Moses' day. We forget because of God's grace, because of God's mercy, because of God's long-suffering, because the earth doesn't open up and swallow us, because we're not struck with some plague or have fiery serpents come into our homes. We forget that it's the same God. It's the same God. And just because he's loving and gracious, and just because what Jesus did and his blood and the power of the Spirit covers me and my shortcomings, doesn't mean I should just live my life any which way. But I should still, just as was told to the children of Israel, remember, remember, remember. So here's the words of the contract. Um, I, I like Matthew chapter 12, speaking of, of, of saying the words to which God would say amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36, Jesus says, But I say to you that for every idle word men, men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Now this is right after the Pharisees had said that it was by the power of Beelzebub that he casts out Beelzebub. That by the power of Satan, Jesus was casting out demons. And then Jesus begins to go into the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and then he says these words. And even though he was speaking specifically of what the Pharisees had just said, I think it applies in all things. Every idle word. For every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. It's amazing. Our account versus God's account. Our economy versus God's economy. What God looks at versus what we look at. So much meaningless conversation about stuff when such weightier matters are before us. Now, uh, verse 24 to 27, we're going to go over exactly what it is that the people say. The first thing that they say in verse 24, and you said, Moses is saying to the people, you said, so the first thing they say, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. So the first thing they, they, they are uh, acknowledging and that they are saying that God was going to then amen is that God has spoken to us and revealed to us his glory and his greatness. They're making a truth statement here about God, about who he is. He is a God who reveals himself and shows to mankind his glory and his greatness. Amen? That's the God whom we serve. That's the first truth about God. We know this is 100% because God amens it afterwards. The first truth we know. The second thing. Now, therefore, verse 24... Uh, oh, it, it's, uh, uh, let's see, I'm sorry, second half of verse 24, uh, his voice, we have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. Because of his mercy, we have not been consumed. So, first thing, God reveals his glory and his greatness to man. Second thing, because of his mercy, we are not consumed. That's the second truth statement. Then he goes on from there, verse 25. Now, therefore, why should we die? <laughs> For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more than we shall die. Verse 3, we understand who he is, we understand who we are, and we are not able to bear his presence. Okay? So, we're going to go over this again. God has revealed to man, God is revealing to man, or he seeks to reveal to man, he does reveal to man his glory and his greatness. 
It is only because of his mercy that we are not consumed by his very presence. But we understand who he is and who we are, and we understand we are not able on our own merits to stand his presence, to bear his presence, to have a real relationship with God on our own merit. It's impossible. No one can approach God. No one can see God. Verse 26, for who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? And what are the people saying here? Typically, there's fire and God's voice, and it's, that's curtains, <laughs> right? That's curtains, baby. That's it. You're done. You're over. And yet, our God, the consuming fire, has appeared with his glory and his greatness, and we were not consumed. We know there's a purpose in this. We know that God has had mercy on us, and we know that there's a purpose to it, and yet we also understand we can't do this. You know what I mean? I'm not supposed to. You ever been to like a really wealthy place, like a really high-end place, and think, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't think... I got, I got my dress shoes at Payless, you know what I mean? I don't think I'm supposed to be here with these people. I remember I went to, I was invited by a buddy of mine who was like a, a, a third cousin once removed or something from Bob Conjol, who, who built Destiny USA and owns all that stuff. Guy's a mogul, you know, and, and beloved amongst the trades. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was invited to go out to his, his uh, reserve out in Savannah, uh, past Waterloo uh, uh, to, go, to go hunt deer. I actually went there twice, once to fish and once to hunt. I mean, uh, uh, pull me aside sometime and ask me, I'll tell you the whole, unbelievable, you know what I'm saying? But there was definitely the sense of, I belong in Kirkville. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this, this is wow, this is wow, this, this isn't Frank Thomas land, like, I'm someplace else, and, and, and that evening, before we went out hunting, I'm sitting at a table with millionaire, multi-millionaire businessmen from New York City, uh, and just having discussions about everything, the, the road going from, from the main drag into, into the camp where we stayed is called Attitude Adjustment Way, something you don't know probably about Bob Conjol, and here's what he says to everyone that comes there, that we used to say to everyone who he would have there, when we come to this place, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what you do for a living. You are no better than any other person. So this is attitude adjustment way. Put all who you think you are to the side because we meet here as friends. Very cool. Kind of a cool concept and cool idea. You know, these guys, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that they would, you know, they wouldn't give me the time of day anyplace else in any walk of life probably. But here at this place, it's like we were, we were there as equals, and it was really an amazing thing. In fact, my buddy, I'm getting a little off into the weeds here, but this is a good story. My buddy's grandfather is Bob Conjol's uncle, was Bob Conjol's uncle, and he was a, a, a stonemason, a bricklayer, okay? Blue collar, blue, 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 blue collar, lived on the north side of Syracuse in a very meager, like modest home okay, and just a regular Joe, but when he was a young man, and he was in the trades, and Bobby Conjol was just a little kid, he was a little punk is what he was, right, and nobody wanted Bob around, because he was kind of a troublemaker and stuff, and Mr. Wilson would say, hey, Bobby can come with me, Bobby can hang out with me, Bobby can be, hey, I'll take Bobby, I'll take Bobby, and so Mr. Wilson, you got to understand, he was royalty at, at Savannah Dew, he was like royalty. He had a, his own house that Bob built for him on the property. 
And when you came there, I don't care who you are. I don't care what multi-million dollar business. You walk up to Mr. Wilson. How you doing today, Mr. Wilson? How you doing? Oh, good to see you, sir. You ch- He's the king. You know what I mean? Very, very cool. Very, very cool. But I had the idea, and I had the very distinct sense, I don't belong here. I'm not supposed to be here. I had a blast. But this is where the people are. Magnitude multiplied a million, billion, trillion times. You understand? We're not supposed to be here. Like, this is out of the ordinary. This is, not, this is not going along with anything that we know and understand in the flesh, that we could stand in the presence of Almighty God and not be consumed. We're not supposed to be here. And yet we haven't been consumed. So they continue. Verse 27, they say to Moses, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say, and then tell us all that the Lord our God says to you, and we will do it. So the last true statement that they make is that we need a mediator, one who goes between us and God, okay? Let's go through it one more time. God has spoken to us and revealed to us, and he reveals to mankind his glory and his greatness. It's only because of his mercy that we are not consumed, and yet we understand who he is and who we are and that we are not able to bear his presence or be in his presence. And therefore, we need a mediator. You getting the picture here? Okay? You see what's happening here? No wonder God was like, amen! You have no idea. <laughs> we need a mediator, someone that goes between us and him. And so that began the ministry of Moses Then once they came into the land, the ministry of the judges through the book of Judges, and then the prophets, there was always that person that God would use, that God would speak to, to bring his word, to bring his truth to the people so that they might know his will. Sometimes they listened and sometimes they didn't, but they were at all times because of this contract in need of a mediator. They always needed a mediator. Some of the mediators they loved, some of the mediators they killed. But they always needed a mediator. Here's a verse I love. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. You see what just happened there? In various times and and, and in the past, God spoke through prophets, God spoke through kings, God spoke through judges, but now in the day and age that you and I live in, he has spoken at last through his very son, Jesus Christ, whom he has also appointed the heir of all things and through whom he made the worlds. Jesus Christ, co-creator. Remember, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with him in the beginning. And the Bible says, and through him, all things were created, through the word, through Jesus Christ, all things were created that have been created. Without him, nothing that has been created was created. And then it goes on to say, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Anyone who would come to you and say, well, Jesus really wasn't God. Okay, well, you can believe that, but that ain't what the Bible teaches. 
Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God. And he was given, he was appointed to you, to I. Remember, going back to this contract, God is making a contract, contract with the people, and Moses is the mediator of this contract. And he stands as witness. After Moses, God did the same thing, reiterating the contract. It's always the same contract, again and again and again, through other witnesses, through the prophets, through the priests, through the judges. Now, it's through Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. He is the go-between. I love this verse. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is one. There's also the verse that says, There is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. And make no mistake about it, it is a lie, it is a fallacy, it is a fabrication that any person at any time since Jesus Christ died on the cross could go to anybody and get to the Father except through Jesus Christ. There is no pastor, there is no prophet, there is no priest, there is no evangelist, there is no Christian on the face of the earth that you can go to and thereby gain access to God. There is only one way, you personally going to the mediator, who is Jesus Christ. That is the only way, it is the only way, it is the only way, and the scripture is replete with this truth. There is one mediator. Why might I choose somebody else? Maybe it's psychologically, a Freudian thing happening. Why might I choose somebody else as a mediator or want somebody else as a mediator other than Jesus Christ? What does the standard do? <laughs> oh. So often when a man or a human being becomes a mediator or put in a mediator position, then what immediately begins to happen is I am given a list or there's a, a, a list of things or a book of things or a, a pamphlet of things that now I can do to gain access. There's a way in which I now can be justified based on what this human being has said where then I can have access to God. It is a lie. It is not true. There is one mediator. There is one that we go to to get to God. That's the reason when we get done praying, we say, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isn't that funny? You say it every day. You say it all the time, Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. No, 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 no. That is how you got the access. That is how you were able to have that conversation. And it's the only way anybody can have a conversation with God. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. And we say, amen, right? Okay. Now, verses 28 to 31. Verses 28 to 31. Then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me, and the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. God agrees with the people. First thing, God agrees. You guys, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Jesus said to the disciples, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. No, Jesus said, wait a second. Great, cool. Who do you say that I am? And Peter immediately. You know Peter? Yeah, Peter. He only took out one foot long enough to put the other foot in, right? 
He immediately speaks, right? No hesitation, no thought process. You know, some people you say, you ask them a question, and they go, no, no, not Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter's like this. You know what I mean? Just waiting for you to get done speaking so he could go. And before Jesus gets the words out, well, who do you say that you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God? But at that moment, Jesus says something amazing to Peter. He says, blessed are you, Peter. Huh? Who? <laughs> Me? Yeah, you. Blessed are you, Peter. You just had a revelation. I did? Wow. You had a revelation. That is not flesh and blood speaking, but that's the spirit of God speaking to you. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Wow. Now listen to what I have to say. The Son of Man is going to go and be crucified, delivered to the hands of men. And Peter, well, since God speaks through me, he begins to rebuke Jesus. And then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Can you imagine? You want to talk about don't ever trust in your flesh. You want to talk about going from, huh? <sighs> Literally, Jesus Christ said, you just had a revelation. Two seconds later, get behind me, Satan. That fast it happens, huh? That fast it happens. But this is what it reminds me of. The people say these words, and they're just speaking from their hearts. This is what we believe. This is what we've seen, and this is what experientially we know to be the fact of the matter right now. And God says, you just had a revelation. Amen. Amen. This truth that you just spoke is, is, is ultimate truth. It's my word that you just spoke back to me. Amen. God agrees with the people. And then he expresses his heart in the matter. Verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, <laughs> that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see, this is the heart of God we were talking about before worship. Where are you? Always, God has his hand extended. Where are you in your life? Where are you? Where are you? Turn around. Just come to me. I love it when Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'm not here to put a trip on you. I'm not here to add to your burdens or the problems of your life. I'm here to give you rest. And you see God's heart because he knows the people. Just like Jesus when the Pharisees were speaking to him and he didn't just hear the words, he saw right into their hearts. And God says, oh, oh, that they had such a heart in them. What's he also saying? They don't have such a heart in them. But oh, that they did. That's like God said, oh my goodness, if you only knew the plans, what I'm seeking to do in your life, what I want to do with you personally, how I want to grow you personally, if you only knew, if only your heart would be wholeheartedly given to me that they would fear me and always keep my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Huh. It breaks God's heart when we bring the consequences of sin and rebellion upon ourselves. In Revelation chapter 15, right before uh, the bold judgments are poured out on planet Earth, we have this, this scene where God is in the temple. There's a temple in heaven. If you didn't know, there's a temple in heaven. What that looks like, we can only imagine. But the temple that was in the tabernacle that was given Moses to build for the children of Israel in the wilderness is the earthly model of what's in heaven. It is a poor comparison, okay? But it's a, Solomon's temple was a poor comparison to the temple that's in heaven. But right before these bold judgments, are, are, which is getting towards the end of the tribulation period, these bold judgments are put on planet Earth, we have the scene. Let's turn to it. Let's turn to it. 
Uh, Revelation chapter 15. Revelation chapter 15, starting with verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. Notice this, verse 8. The temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And so here we have this scene in heaven as God's judgment is being poured out on planet Earth, and these final bowl judgments are about to be poured out, and God is in the temple, and the smoke of his glory fills the temple in heaven, and no one can enter it. Now, heaven is access to God. Heaven is being with God forever and ever. And yet, in this moment, John sees the temple in heaven filled with the smoke of the glory of God, and no one is able to What do you suppose God's doing in there? I know what I believe he's doing in there. I believe he's heartbroken. I believe he's mourning over the earth. Yes, his judgments are righteous. They are, they are due. It is, completely, it is completely in his holiness. But remember what God says. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. None. I take no pleasure in it. Every single time someone suffers the consequences of their own sin, God is grieved. God is grieved by that. And we see it in his heart here in Deuteronomy when he says, oh, that they had such a heart in them and that they would fear me and keep all of my commandments. He wishes that it could be so. And we'll finish, finish up here. We can find back to, back to Deuteronomy. Leviticus, Numbers, there we go, Deuteronomy. Verse 30, go and say to them, return to your tents. But as for you, he says to Moses, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which you shall teach them, that they may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. So Moses, after reminding them of their contract between them and God, re reiterates the importance of um, of them, we're going to get to that, of, of, of observing these things, but, but God here now is putting the contract into motion, okay? Now, now, this is what Moses is talking about. God is putting the contract now into motion after they said what they had to say, God says what he had to say before and after with the commandments, and now saying what he just said, he begins by saying, therefore, uh, but excuse me, but as for you, oh, wow, back up one more, go and say to them, return to your tents, but as for you, stand here by me, and I will speak to you all the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which you shall teach them. So you see what he's just saying? People, go back to your tents and begin to live the commandments. Moses, stand here, and I'm going to begin to teach you the commandments. All right? God is here putting the contract into motion. Now, verse 32. Now, Moses telling the story, now he begins to speak to the people again. Therefore... You shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live 
and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. So now Moses, after reminding them of their contract between them and God, reiterates the importance to them of observing the terms. Of observing the terms. We don't have to remind God of the terms of the contract where it pertains to him. Okay? You ever find yourself doing that? Well, God, (laughs) aren't you supposed to? Where was God on that one? He always upholds his end of the deal. He is always upholding his end of the contract. It is we who need constant reminding. And he says to them, be careful. I love that part. That's again, because he said that several times in the book of Deuteronomy already. Therefore, you shall be careful. And you understand, it's the way you would walk through a minefield. How would you walk through a minefield? Very carefully. How do you walk through a museum of ancient antiquities when there's not a lot of shoulder room? Very carefully. And how ought we to observe the statutes and the judgments of God? Very carefully. In other words, I should no more want to break one of the commandments of God than I would to knock over a Ming vase and smash it into a million pieces. If only we were so careful in our walk as we would be in that situation, right? Human nature, again. Don't turn aside to the right hand or the left. I think in today's political climate, that's very meaningful. (laughs) Don't turn to the right don't turn to the left, right? When, remember when the angel of the Lord appears to Joshua? And Joshua says, whose side are you on? Remember what the angel of the Lord says? No one's side. Don't get it twisted, Josh. I'm not here because you're so right and they're so wrong. I represent the will and the word of Almighty God. And if you're not careful, you'll suffer the same as they. Understand? That's what the angel of the Lord was saying to Joshua that day. God isn't on his side, okay? We're not going to get into any kind of political stuff. You vote with your conscience. You do what God puts in your heart that you know to be right. You understand? Walk in the light you're given. Walk in the light that you're given and do what the Lord has put. I have complete faith and hope and trust. You know, I don't have to stand up here, and Dad doesn't have to stand up here and tell you how to vote. Certainly doesn't have to tell you how to live your life, what you have to do. There's some churches like that. Uh, I want to take out a loan, uh, Pastor, for a car. Is, is that okay? Can I have your permission? No, not this month. I would not do well in a church like that. Can you imagine? I would go to him just to disobey him. Hey, I'm thinking of riding my dirt bike all weekend, maybe break a bone or two. What do you think, Pastor? I don't want you to do that. I don't care. And now I'm going to do it further, farther and worse than before, you know. (laughs) We're talking about a relationship that we have with Almighty God. And it is him that's saying to us, don't turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You have a relationship with God, and we have the word of God, and we gather together here this morning in Jesus' name to study it together. I can have complete and total assurance that as you seek God, and as his spirit lives in each one of you, that you're going to do what God tells you to do in your life. I don't have to approve of everything you do. I'm going to say that one more time. I don't have to approve of anything you do, everything you do. You certainly don't have to approve of anything, everything that I do. Right? Now, you know a tree by the fruit that it bears. Right? There's going to be evidence. But the parable of the wheat and the tares... Remember the parable of the wheat and the tares? 
the master of the plantation, he goes out, he plants all of this wheat, and his servants begin to see that all of these tares, all these harmful weeds are coming up. And they go to the master and they say, well, what are we going to do? Look at all these tares. Look at all these tares. Should we go through and tear them up and rip them up? He says, no, because in doing so, you might rip up some of the good plants as well. In other words, you might stumble them. You might harm their faith. You might harm where they are in their walk with me, and I'm with them. It's not your job to go through and uproot those tares. You let all things come to fruit, and then in the day of the harvest, they'll all be brought in, and there'll be a separation that is made. By who? By the Lord. Not our job. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And everything that you do in this life, and as you walk through this world, do it according to the statutes and the judgments of God that he's given to us in his word as he's put it in your heart to do. Walk in the light that you're given. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you so much for the fellowship that we have together through Jesus Christ uh, and the salvation that we have because of the shedding of his blood and his resurrection from the dead, Father, that our sins are forgiven and washed away and taken as far away from us as the east is from the west, and that you remember them no more. Uh, Lord, and we pray that you would help us always, Lord, to be reminded and to walk in the light, to walk in the spirit, uh, and to not be walking in the flesh, to stay out of the darkness of our own flesh, Lord. But as much as is in us, and as much as we're able, Father, and as hard as we can, that we would walk in the spirit, Lord, and be able to really, really have communion and fellowship with you, Father. Help us for the things in our lives, Father, that, that aren't where they ought to be with you, Lord, uh, and that you would bring us along. Each person here, Father, wherever they're at with you, Father, we pray that you would be encouraging them to come closer, to draw closer, Father, into deeper walk, into deeper fellowship with you, and that you would be in their lives, Father, showing them your will, uh, that your word would be written on the tablets of their hearts again, Father, that they would know what it is that you're asking them to do. I pray, Father, that you would be with these people. I pray that you'd bless them. I pray that you'd keep them and that you'd cause your face to shine upon them, Lord. I pray that you would be with them as they leave this place and as they go out into the world, that you would season their words with grace and truth. Father, and they would have in their arms and in their hands love, uh, Lord, and mercy, just as our Savior Jesus did, and that you would use them to bring people closer to the cross, Father. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.